BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. Today's episode, we have a mailbag. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And we got a lot of questions to go through. Before we jump into them, Jack, I wanted to talk about a couple big league debuts with you because we had Brian Wu make his debut for the Mariners, which did not go that well. But I want to add some context to that. We talked a little bit about it on the Just Baseball show. And then Andrew Abbott of the Reds made his debut and... He looked really good yesterday as well. So we'll break those two down, and then we're going to answer all of your questions. So many good ones. We're going to get to as many as we can. Thank you so much for asking them. Jack, did you get to catch? I, I know you got to call game sometimes, so it doesn't overlap. I only was able to go back and rewatch the Abbott start. Were you able to catch any of that? Like, Did, did you see anything that stood out to you? I saw a couple innings of the Abbott start and I, I rewatched, you know, a lot of like the strikeouts, you know, saw the highlights and all that. But I did watch a couple innings in earnest. And the thing that jumped out to me about Abbott is he, he didn't go to any secondary that much. And like you saw that in double and triple, right? The fastball profile was so good. And I was following on Savant while yeah. it was happening. And I was like, okay, you know, how's it spinning? Like, what, what's the break here? How are we doing? Um, you know, when when you look at whiff, he got seven whiffs on the fastball on 33 swings. So that's like a 21% whiff rate, which is good on, on a big league fastball. The thing that jumped out to me is like, it didn't look like a gravity-defying fastball like Bryce Miller's, like, you know, Brian Wu's on his best day, hell, like Joe Ryan's. Um, I wish he threw a couple more secondary pitches and I think he was struggling with fastball command. He walked four, but you know what? When he's throwing fastball 60% of the time and he's allowing one hit in six innings, you'll take it, man. Yeah, I was going to say, so you, you set the scene really well here because I think this was one where he was just trying to go with what works um, and, and he was fighting himself a little bit command-wise, but in those jams made the big pitch, backdoor to breaking ball when he needed to. And the fastball confidence stood out to me, even when 
he didn't have it totally because the the command wasn't great. He, I think he hit 47% of his fastballs were in the zone, I believe. So it wasn't ideal. You talk about the the carry that he gets on the fastball. He's just going to be one of those kind of outlier guys to me that he doesn't, you know, shine on the IVB ranks. He doesn't shine in terms of of, you know, spin rate or whatever it may be. But I actually had a Marlins fan reply to one of my uh, clips that I put out and said, that kind of looks like Trevor Rogers. And there are some similarities there. And if you look at Trevor Rogers, the one thing I'll say is that Rogers is not a data darling with his fastball either. But when he is right, he gets a lot of whiffs with it. So it's that deceptive release point. It's just sometimes it just kind of flies through the catcher's mid a little bit more than than you think it will. And even if the data doesn't totally back it up, you got to just react to the hitter's swings. And it looked like it was getting on hitters quickly. And it looked like he had a lot of confidence in it, even without his command being on. There's starts where his command is a little spotty. We've seen that through the minor leagues. But the fact that he could get by with that, I think, is what really stands out at the big league level. And, you know, we'll see if that'll continue. But when he's on, he's a threat for 10 strikeouts. And I think that's that's the more important thing. It's it's really how bad are are the off starts going to be? And I think that was somewhere in between. And he was really good. He only gave up one hit in six innings. That's the thing, man. So, like, if this is the 70th percentile start for Andrew Abbott, six innings of one hit shutout ball is absolutely worth it, even if you do walk four. I mean, we're talking about five base runners in six innings. That's great. If the whip's under one, I've got no problem with how many dudes you walk. If you go six innings and walk five, but if there's six no hit innings, I frankly don't care that much. The one that jumps out to me is Flaherty, who went, what, that was four no hit innings, but seven walks or five or seven. Yeah. When the whip is over. Yeah. When the whip is over one, that's when I start to get concerned with the command. But the whip was under one in this one, which I'm really happy with. Before we move off Abbott, I just wanted to shout out Stephen Shock, who's hilarious. Um, Shock with what? D1 baseball, right? Yeah. Did you see his tweet about Abbott? Yeah, they did. Edward so 40 funny. Hands I used to, to do Edward 40 hands with this man. And tonight he made his major league debut. I love you at Andrew Rabbit. So funny. So funny. He does an unbelievable great time to tune into what Steven's doing, by the way, too. He does an unbelievable job covering college baseball. And uh, wow, is, is it been fun already as we get ready for the Super Regional? So we'll, we'll be talking about that a little bit more as we as we get closer to the College World Series. But yeah, that was awesome. I don't know if you've ever done Edward 40 hands. It is miserable. I, I have. Thought it it, once. I it's, hated it. Wait, oh my gosh, is it brutal? It All is- I wanted to do was get get out of it. Yeah, well, there's only one way, buddy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brian Wu probably wanted to get out of that that debut, unfortunately, yeah. as well. But yeah, it, I I want to kind of add context, similar context that we added on the Just Baseball show. The Texas Rangers are teeing off on everybody, and I'm not going to put too much stock in a poor start against the Texas Rangers. Brian Wu, much like Bryce Miller, heavy fa- or, uh, heavy fastball usage, but a ton of carry, a ton of ride from this low vertical attack angle. And we saw that. I mean, he threw 26 fastballs, 20 for strikes, and got several whiffs, a 35% in zone whiff rate, 36% in zone whiff rate on the fastball in, in that start. Of course, he got shellacked and gave up, what, six runs in, in two innings? But yeah. I, I didn't feel like it was... A matter of, oh, this guy's overmatched. This guy's not fit for the big leagues. This was a kid that probably wanted to get ahead of hitters, uh, probably wanted to establish the fastball in his big league debut, and was missing middle too much. And when you miss middle against the best lineup in baseball right now, that's what happens. That's why I thought it was an interesting draw 
Um, I, I thought it was a tough one because you, you saw the subsequent start where Bryce Miller, who came into the big leagues and took it by storm, also got knocked around. So I, I thought it was a really tough draw. I understand that they had to do it because Wu was the best option for them with the injury to Marco Gonzalez. Um, but yeah. but man, I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't shift expectations on Wu, which is I think he could be a good back end of the rotation starter for the Mariners this year. This tough debut doesn't really change that for me. Yeah. So tell me why Savant spit out what 47% four seam, 28% sinker. He threw 75% of his pitches. He threw 47 pitches, roughly 75% of them were in the 96 ballpark. Like they, they were all same speed. Um, he would mix in a slider here and there, but I mean, this guy was fastballs. And again, you're right. Like when he would tug it into the strike zone, the Rangers were teeing off. Do you see two different fastball profiles? Like why is Savant giving me four seamer and sinker? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, even, even what I'm looking at here, I have like a handful of sinkers he mixed in too. I haven't seen that. So I, I think that's, that's a very fascinating component here because I don't know if it was fastballs that he just didn't really get on to like get really have coming out of his hand the right way. I haven't seen him throw many sinkers. So uh, it is interesting, but I, I'm kind of curious to see if this is something he tried to add because you look at the last big or the last couple minor league starts, he had a few more pitches that registered as sinkers. But if you look at his first handful of starts, he had no pitches that registered as sinkers. So it, it was tough to see from the minor league angles. I'd have to go back and watch like the specific pitches that were labeled as sinkers. But that's an excellent question. I'm kind of interested in diving deeper into that. Was that something that he's trying to add to give another wrinkle to what he's doing? Because obviously it's predominantly fastball slider. Uh, he does mix in the change very rarely, uh, but I, I that change has been registered at 88. So I don't see a way where that could be, you know, miss misread. Um, so it, it should be an interesting dive uh, to, to look into what that sinker is. And, and if that's something that he's kind of added to his arsenal now over the last few starts, because the usage has gone up in terms of pitches registering as sinkers over the last couple minor league starts. And that's the thing, man, like the tagging process is usually pretty spot on, but there are some guys that, you know, have a similar spin, similar vertical break, similar horizontal break profiles between a four seamer and a sinker. But there's like this magic number where, where it crosses and that's where you see different tagging. So, you know, Savant, the portal, like whatever, Hawkeye, Trackman, they, they tag each pitch based on shape. So it might just be slight deviations. Like if you are on the edge of a four seamer and a sinker, it may be that. So the only way to know, like if he's truly working on implementing a sinker is talking to Brian yeah. Wu yeah. or somebody around the Mariners. Um, but I, I thought that tagging was interesting. Regardless, I would like to see a third speed, right? Because 75% of his pitches were 94 to 97, pretty much. He was sitting 96. Yes, he had that slider. He threw 10 times and 47 pitches. But if you're if you're constantly at 96, guys can time up 96, man. Yeah. No, especially when it's not right at the top of the zone. And and it was the same guys that that really beat him. It was two hits for for Corey Seager, two hits for Marcus Semien. And then I think one from Jonah Heim and somebody else. So like it, it was just really the, the fastballs getting getting hit hard. So I'm not too worried about it. I also think that if if this sinker is something that he's been implementing a little bit more, he's still kind of figuring out how to sequence with that. Um, it's it's a it's a different beast than just 
60% four seam and then whatever else slider. Like this is a little bit more sequencing. So I, I, this is one of the guys that I'm most excited to watch the, the follow up start to his debut. Cause I do think he'll bounce back and have a solid start next time around. Yeah. Ready to get into these questions. I've got them. So we've got several good ones. I have them up here too. Do you want to just kind of go in the order that, you know, you, you pasted them in our rundown and just go For sure. with that. All right. Yeah, let, let's do it. Do you want me to run? Do you want me to run you through? Them? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So it, it, great response on Twitter. Yeah. Excellent response. I mean, we put it out and people immediately jumped in to ask their prospect questions. So we thank you so much for doing this. And I feel like we should do more mailbacks because so many should. people want to ask questions. Yeah, so 100 percent. After seeing how many came in, too, like we'll we'll definitely try to do it at least every two weeks. Maybe we'll mix it in when we're. Really excited for, uh, you know, back-to-back weeks. Yeah, 100%. All right, let, let's start with at Claiborne Katie. Who gets called up first for the Giants between Kyle Harrison or Luis Matos? And this is an interesting question because both of them are in AAA Sacramento. Harrison provides an immediate bump to that rotation, although I will say he is just now getting over his walk issues from April and May. Uh, he has put together like some decent starts recently and, and he had a great start mixed in, I think last time or the time before Matos has been somebody that we've talked about, right? A guy that fell off the top 100 and quickly made his way back on. Yeah. This is an interesting one because yes, I, we have seen a better Kyle Harrison as of late. Um, especially he had the, and it's so interesting because it really is a matter of him against himself. I was talking about this with like Edward Cabrera. I think it's similar. Obviously they're very different pitchers, but they're similar in the regard that their stuff is so damn good that when they're on, I mean, it doesn't matter if they're facing the Oakland A's or the New York Yankees or the, you know, the Texas Rangers, they will, they will stifle you. But when they're off, it doesn't matter who they're facing. They, they will give up runs. Kyle Harrison shoved against Oklahoma city, which is the triple A affiliate for, for the Dodgers. Went four innings of of no hit ball, nine Ks, one walk. Uh, but you know, right before that, literally the start before that, he pitched against Reno, went three and a third, and he gave up five earned runs. The, the 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 toughest thing for me here with with Kyle Harrison, and the reason why I think I will go to Luis Matos on, on this, is that if Harrison is called up, what's his role? We haven't seen him go more than seventy six pitches, though. It was his last start that he's so we've seen like a trend, an upward trend in terms of like more pitches. He had not broken 70 all year, and now he has back to back starts of 70 pitches. So they're probably trying to build him up for a potential call up. But man, like with these command issues, I I don't know if I want him up yet. I I obviously won't be upset if he's called up. Um, you know, it, I think if the Giants are in in the, in the playoff hunt. They, they could call him up as like a reliever and, and that could be, you know, a way that we see him in some capacity, but he's 21. He's fighting command issues in triple a, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I'd rather see him kind of work through this a little bit more, go four or five innings into starts a little bit more frequently, go six maybe, um, and, and just show that he can throw strikes on the flip side. Luis Matos looks phenomenal, man. I, I I've been like, kind of working on in the in the background on a little thread on Luis Matos and you know why I think he is one of the most improved players of of this season so far. Uh what was a lost year for him injury wise? Uh what was a year that I think he started to lose a little bit of confidence in his swing, started expanding the zone a bit more, wasn't hitting the ball as hard as as we had seen him hit it in the past. 
This guy has an unbelievable field to hit, has a good amount of juice in there for a smaller dude, 104 mile per hour, 90th percentile. And the approach has drastically improved. Um, I think Luis Matos could give them help in, in center field tomorrow. And he can play all three outfield spots. He's a good athlete. I think we see Matos earlier, and, and I think the Giants could use Matos a little bit more. So it's hard to move off of Hanniger because you gave Hanniger big money, but your contingency plans for Hanniger, who is really stinking it up right now, are Brett Wisely, Bryce Johnson, and Austin Slater. Yeah, I feel better about Matos right now than any of those four guys. And again, the only one that is handcuffing me from going to Matos in earnest and moving Yastrzemski to a corner is Hanniger because of the money that they have allocated to him. Um, Matos is hitting 400 in AAA. 17 games. This dude has 31 hits. He's hitting 397. The, the most interesting thing to me, and yeah, he's not really a punch-out guy, six Ks in 83 plate appearances in triple. That's not, not really a punch out guy. That's like Quan Arias. Like that's best in baseball in terms of not punching out. And he hits the ball so much harder than them. So there's something special kind of brewing here. Um, And again, like cut the ground ball rate down. Everything looks good. And this is one that I bring it up with, with the conversation that we had with Casey Schmidt on the call up way back. And, um, we we're just talking about a couple of different teammates and he's like, look out for Matos. He's just been hurt. Like he just hasn't been right. Uh, he's, he's way better than this. And if you remember 2021 and going into 2022, we had Matos as a top 50 guy, but yeah. it was so bad last year, like so bad. And, and, but he was on the field a lot. So we didn't really have the context of like, this guy's trying to play hurt because he was on the field, but he didn't miss some time. But ultimately, like there was enough of a body of work on the field where like, whoa, what is wrong with this guy? It was approach. The exit velocities were bad. Everything looked poor. So to to be this totally different guy now that we thought he was going to be last year. So it's not like this came out of nowhere. It's just you got to scrap last year as a lost season. You have to say we were too reactionary to cast this guy aside, though. You wouldn't find him on a single top 100 list going into this year. Not one. I I looked everywhere. Not one. Because uh, I'm working on this thread. So, I, I I mean, it says a lot about how quickly I think, how bad Matos looked last year, but also the turnaround and the fact that this was always in there. Well, think about it, too. I mean, the top 100 is the what have you done for me lately article. Like yeah. uh, with every industry, it is who's hot right now. It's pretty much a heat sheet from the year before yeah. uh, when, when you look at preseason. Um, what I will say is, like, obviously, I'm not trying to compare these two. But this is the prospect version of Acuna. When Acuna is not considered one of the best talents in baseball because he was playing through whatever he was playing through last yeah. year and he was hit the ball on the ground all the time, you know, people almost like when they listed off the best players in baseball, Acuna was kind of the forgotten man because oh, he was hurt and then he was, relatively speaking, bad. Yeah. Now he's back and it's like, oh shit, we forgot. I guess we forgot what a healthy Matos looked like. A hundred percent. And I think this is a guy that's a small frame, like crazy bat speed. I think he needs to be a hundred percent to really generate that frame defying juice. But again, like to, to be 88% zone contact, and that has improved as the year has gone on to your point, Jack, you mentioned like the Quans of the world and, and those guys um, since basically since he's been to triple a 90 plus percent zone contact. So this guy's really figured it out within the zone and he's hitting the ball hard. 
Like there's, yep. there's, there's juice there. So very excited about Luis Matos, no doubt a top 100 prospect in the update and uh, no doubt a big part of, of the giants future, I think in center field, whether it's sooner or a little bit later, but to answer the question, I think we see Matos first with the way he is performing. It is a little bigger. bit, you know, with what's going on at the big league level though. Yeah. Big part, bigger part than Elliot Ramos. <laughs> but, <laughs> talk about a Talk about a guy that fell off quick from the rankings. Yeah. Fall from grace big time. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Really simple question too, from at the mad Brit with two T's. Who's the best Dodger pitching prospect? <laughs> Very simple question for me. Before you get into the weeds here, Bobby Miller still has prospect qualification. Yeah. It's Bobby Miller, but I think we can talk about second best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For, for the sake of, of actually answering a question here, um, we won't cop out with the guy that's pitching well at the big league level right now. Um, I think, you know, Gavin Stone, obviously his struggles, the the depletion of, of his quality of fastball a little bit has to have him, you know, kind of diminished now a step behind. Uh, you could look at the, the whole Tulsa drillers rotation is absurd. And you can look yeah. at what Nick Frasso is doing and say, uh, you know, Nick Frasso has got a claim. Have you have you checked in on Nick Frasso's numbers recently? Of course I have. Yes. Point nine ERA. Yeah. But the other side of it is. You know, he's not going very deep into starts. He's, you know, eight starts, 30 innings. So, you know, we're not seeing him go extremely deep. Um, but, you know, obviously that's what the Dodgers do. It's just it's hard to like it's hard to put him in the same conversation maybe as an Emmett Sheehan who has made nine starts and has thrown 49 innings and I think is pretty close numbers wise. A one six four ERA. You look at the quality of stuff. I would lean Emmett Sheehan, I think. If we're looking at the names, you have Kyle Hurt, who's been fantastic, but he's older. Um, Emmett Sheehan, with the fastball just getting the whiff that it's getting, I mean, the amount of life on his fastball is insane. Then you have the slider, which is, I think, looking like a plus pitch, and then the changeup, which was already a plus pitch. I think when we're looking at who translates best to the big leagues as a starter, because obviously the starting prospect's going to be better than the than the relief prospect. I'm going to have to go with with Emmett Sheehan in terms of the three pitch mix and, and what we've seen from him and the fastball quality. Yeah. So I, a couple other names that I want to throw out here, like River Ryan has been awesome, Very but we've good. seen some command issues. Um, who else? Maddox Bruns has been awesome. We've seen some command issues. I think Frasso might be three for me behind Bobby Miller and, and Emmett Sheehan. Nestrini at this point, he's been good, but he hasn't been otherworldly like the other ones. Um, honestly, I don't think Pepio's in this conversation anymore. No, no. Which is wild, man. And that I think that's less of a knock on Pepio, but more a testament to the Dodger development and how many freaking arms they have. Ronan Cops, another guy that you got to talk about. But again, like the command issues, the fact that Sheehan is not walking an egregious amount while still putting up this this low one ZRA and opponents are hitting like a buck 15 against him. I, I think for me, it's it's pretty clear. Bobby Miller one, Sheehan two, everybody else three. Yeah, you know, I think Frosso could kind of like wiggle his way in there if he went deeper. Yeah, it's just it's just haven't so seen it hard. yet. It's just so hard, you know, and um, it's it's just like I'm working on three four inning spurts here 
But I will say, I mean, he has given a, a few five inning outings where he has looked really, really sharp. So you could make the Frost case. He's also a year and change older. So I think that's part of it, too. Um, and has dealt with some injury history as well. Yeah, um, I, I honestly didn't see anything, but I'm looking at the game logs. He was pulled after a third of an inning. He walked two. I don't know if it was. I doubt it would have been because of the walks. I hope. I don't know if I, I saw anything injury related on him, but um, we'll have to look into that. But I, I didn't see that start. I don't know why he was pulled after one third of an inning. But regardless, I think Sheehan's the answer there. But trouble in paradise. I mean, what a ridiculous group of arms there that they have in L.A. So stupid. Start trading some. Yeah. For the love of God, start I trading. think they will. I think they will. And again, Kyle Hurt, like that guy's numbers are insane. His data is silly. Yeah. Um, all right. Third one from Caleb underscore L29. How should we evaluate struggling hitters in the Southern League? I saw Mason Hour was hitting 132 and slugging 213. This is at the time. Didn't know that was possible. Again, this was from Caleb underscore L29. We didn't think it was possible either. Yeah, Mason Hour is a big surprise this year. Um, I, I think, yeah, you can you can highlight the baseballs as as a reason to you know point towards a little bit more whiff. But you know, I, the 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 short is, I'm still figuring out how to how to analyze the Southern League. And guess what? So are Major League Baseball teams. They have no idea. There's a reason why we're seeing Ben Brown skip. Double A. Um, you know, I, I think the Braves wanted to fast track AJ Smith Shaver, but there was also another reason why we saw him skip there. As far as I know, Jack, there's not one top 100 prospect actively by just baseball actively pitching in the Southern League right now. Really? And the Southern League is a smaller league, but I don't think that's a coincidence. You have a top arm, you're getting them the hell out of there. It was part of why we saw Andrew Rabbit quickly out of there. I mean, how many 14, 15 strikeout outings do you need to see from that guy? Nobody. Now there's, there's, rumors that there's three different baseballs that they're mixing in there. MLB says there's only one. I I've heard that there's not, there's definitely not just one. And I trust where that's coming from. So it's, it's a very wonky situation that said these baseballs will not make you hit one thirty. They will make you strike out 5% more frequently. They may make you, you know, see a drop in your home run to fly ball rate a little bit. Um, I, they won't make you flat out suck. And I think we're seeing that. And especially with these other two baseballs that are mixed in, I think two of them are not as dramatic. So you're seeing a little bit of normalization. But I also think you're the numbers, if you look league by league, are a little bit skewed because the pitching in the in in the Southern League isn't that good. And you're seeing a lot of average arms become above average, which just makes it tough. Like Justin yeah. Jarvis, not trying to like knock on him as an example, but like he was not really much of a prospect going into this year with the Brewers. Very average minor league arm. Now he's above, well above average, one of the best arms in that league, and just right. consistently churning out quality starts. It's like you never get a day off in that league. And I think like if you're a struggling hitter, that's got to really mount on you. So I kind of take it case by case. But for Mason Hour, that's a guy that you're slumping. You're looking forward to that Birmingham series where you can face a bunch of those weak arms. But even those weak arms have ride on their fastball. Like even those weak arms are getting crazy break. So even if the stuff's not that great, it's better than it should be. And you don't have a day off. So it's case by case, but I would say 5% margin for error of strikeout rate would be the best way to describe it. And maybe 20 points on your batting average. And that's super back into the envelope kind of math there, but that's kind of what I've seen. 
No, I mean, 20 points on the batting average. Like the, the two numbers that he cited were, were batting average and slug. 20 points on the batting average, 30 points, 40 points on the slug. Like you expect. Yeah, it depends on the guy, but I've definitely seen about, about 20 to 30, maybe 40 on the slug as well. Yeah. So, yes, like give him that room for error, but Mason Hour in 44 games hitting a buck 40 with a 217 slug. Like that, that's a bad year. It's not just the baseballs. Yeah. No, I think this is a year that's mounting on him. And again, like guys like that, though, I do think that there's a mental component of what's happening in the Southern League. For sure. I cut him some slack from that. That's kind of unquantifiable. Um, But I will say, like, about that buffer zone of what we said, it's even harder for pitchers, I think. I think it's even harder to analyze pitchers because, again, like, is Justin Jarvis good now? Did he make some some major change? Is Pat Montverde good? Yeah. Yeah, is Pat Montverde a legitimate pitching prospect now with the Marlins? Or is he just kind of a a guy that's maximizing great command with – stuff that used to be fringy and now is slightly above average. It is really hard to size all that up and teams still don't know what to do. That's the problem. Yeah. Justin Jarvis, a Dow chemical tack merchant lock. Um, Chemical tag. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's from Dow chemical. I think Dow created this like uh, tack instead of the mud from the Delaware river. I think that's what I read in the baseball America article. Um, All right. This one from Kyle Stelter, 78. Can Nathan Martorella or Robbie Snelling become top 100 prospects? And could Jake Cronenworth and Manny Machado get any prospects in return? Cronenworth <laughs> and Machado are not moving. Yeah. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, if they traded Andre Manny Smith, Machado. They're already losing their minds. Yeah, let's sell. Let, let's get Machado out of here. Let's get Soto out of here. Start from scratch. Uh, I, the I love it, man. I love it. Uh, I used to be that way. Like when I was fully in fan mode, like I was that weird. that kid asking those questions i um, so i love it i look yeah they're June, good they're gonna be fifth, fine they're right. fine you're not trading those guys you need the lineup but to answer the the, the snelling question or, and Mar- martarella and you know where do you stand on this jack first basemen are hard because yeah. it, they're first basemen and like look at tristan casas yeah that was my favorite 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 bat like like one of my one of my most can't miss bats and he's not doing great right now. And when they don't hit, they're pretty much useless. So first base prospects have to be bulletproof. And I thought Casas was near bulletproof. And I still think he's going to be a good big leaguer. Like yeah. the, the point being there's an understandable hesitancy around first baseman. How, like how much do you need to see from a first baseman before you're saying top 100 guy? Like, do you like, is there anything a first base prospect could do in high A to make you say top 100 guy? Uh, if he was 19 or 20, yes, he's 22. He's a college bat in high A. Um, I need to see a Manzardo type ascension to consider him top 100. And Martorella, while he has been really good, he's not Kyle Manzardo. Like, yeah. I, I think that's how I want to view it. So an 860 OPS is great. And he looks like he could be a piece for the Padres in the future, but he's not a top 100 prospect because he's not at a thousand OPS and hitting 320 and forcing his way to double and then forcing his way to triple like Manzardo did. You 100% so, drilled it. You just, yeah. Like uh, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at a prospect like that, they need to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Snelling on the other hand, I think <laughs> he's a top 100 guy. Yeah. So I'll say Martorella, like you said, good prospect, probably a big leaguer. You know, and, and I, I talked to Pete Flaherty about this. Pete Flaherty got a lot of looks at him through college, Cape League, I believe, as well. Um, yeah. He says he says big leaguer, 
And Pete Flaherty, we just had him on the show the other day. Anyone that listened to that draft show, definitely check that out. Get you primed up for the draft with, with Pete Flaherty, Baseball America. He was awesome. He loves Martorella. From what I've seen, I, I can see why he loves him. Definitely a good prospect. But again, you got to be kind of leading your league in offensive statistics to be a, a first base prospect in the top 100. If you look at our top 100, it kind of backs that. Matt Mervis, another guy that forced his way in by literally being the best hitter in the minor leagues in AA and AAA. Um, yes. Robbie Snelling. Um, this is a guy that you brought up early in the year. We talked about his, um, you know, his football offers and how insane of an athlete he is. And just the more I've been able to watch of him on the bump, you can see that athleticism. High school arm. Yes, it's a little late, but high school arm to be this polished already is is pretty remarkable. And he's coming off of a start against Vesalia where he goes five innings, eight Ks, no walks. And you look at pretty much every single start this year, except for one, he's been two walks or less. Several starts, half his starts, he's one walk. Um, and he only had one blow up where he walked, and I had air quotes for those just listening, with four walks where he only gave up one earned run in five innings. This guy has been phenomenal, and the Padres continue to ace drafts. Yes, all the time. When they have a high pick, they're not relinquishing that. Like, it's never a lost pick for them, which is wild to which me. Is, I, I think that's why AJ Preller has so much. Con- like, how don't you have the confidence to trade like AJ Preller does when you can reload like this? That's the thing, man. Like, he knows he's got the financial backing of what's his name? Seidler? Peter Seidler? Is yeah, that the yeah, yeah. Padres owner? Right. He knows he's got the financial backing when he says, hey, there's this 16 year old that I want for $5 million. They can go get him, and he's already stateside playing in Lake Elsinore. And that's not even the draft. That's that's international free agency. Exactly. I think he's got the faith where, hey, I'm going to move first-round pick, first-round pick, second-round pick, first-round pick for Juan Soto. But then I've got Jackson Merrill that's, like, heating up finally. And then I've got Lesko that looks like a big league arm in the future. And then Snelling I've got a lot of confidence in, and he hit the ground running right away. He has a ton of confidence in himself, and I think that's what makes him, quote-unquote, a good GM. I think you and I think that he may not be great, but we are prospect huggers, I guess, and, and he, he may also not excels be. at certain things. Like, I, yes. I think he excels at, at building the depth. Where he's he may one of the best drafters. is like the swinging for the fences moves, which yes, you're playing with fire. Like, how do you excel at that? That's pretty hard to do. Right. The the thing that jumps out to me about Snelling real quick, he's faced 143 hitters. Two have taken him deep. Inland, Southern California. Easy to get the ball out there. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's a really important note. And also to kind of piggyback on that, Jack, a ton of fastballs, 60 yeah. percent fastball usage, and he's not getting taken deep. That says a lot. His fastball is near, uh, I think it's roughly 19 inches of induced vertical break which from his release point, that's real tough, real tough to pick up. So this is this is a really good arm here. Um, I, I think I see some similarities, ironically, to like Robert Gasser a little bit, um, but with, I think, way more potential um, and, and a better feel for the curveball to already be spotting the curveball 65 percent strike strike wise and to be spotting the changeup like he's locating the changeup pretty well. Robbie Snelling's a top 100 arm. We're, we're like spoiling the top 100 list here. Um, There's another one that will be in there, especially with the athleticism. He's a young 19. He's closer to 19 than 20. 
Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. really impressive. One that's note right. real one yeah. note real quick. Jackson Merrill, I'm surprised we got no questions on him. He you mentioned he was just heating up. I texted you the other day. I was doing my research. Baseball America has a really, 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 really good article every year. I think Matt Eddy does it um, uh, in terms of highlighting ballpark uh, across the minor league ballpark factors. Um, yeah. So, which is so vital, something that we we consider so much in the big leagues, and then for understandably so disregard in the minor leagues. You know, because fans don't have much access or ability to understand that, and there's quadruple the parks or more than that. I you didn't even realize totally. How much of a pitcher's park Fort Wayne is where Jackson Merrill is playing right now? As far as I saw, I think it was number two to only the Jupiter Hammerheads, which is the Florida State League, which is also (laughs) where the Marlins play spring training baseball. So like that is the number one graveyard. Number two behind that. So Jackson Merrill, a guy that's still the power is burgeoning. He's a bat. He's a contact guy first, which you wouldn't expect for his size, but that's what he is. Power is still coming through. That would explain that a little bit, right? So I think that's a really interesting, like, contextual, uh, just added factor to this. I was there for a year, and I had no idea how much of a pitcher's park that was. Isn't it crazy? So I would see big, strong lefty bats just take it, like, onto the concourse and right. I, I think the only way you're good there is if you're a big lefty bat and you can go pull side. And, and Merrill's a use-the-whole-fields guy, like – above average power right yeah. now i'd say it's average right now you can grow into a lot more um and and it makes sense but he's gonna really start heating up soon i think got you um all right next one if you could take any prospect and put them in any other system that you think they would have a better chance to succeed who would it be and why for example taking jordan walker and putting him on the yankees because they so badly need outfield offense that's from at espn raw 85 Jordan Walker on the Yankees is an interesting one. <laughs> Let's go elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm good on that. Uh, but I get, I get where they're, what they're getting at there. And also yeah. Jordan Walker at a Yankee stadium would be fun. Cause he goes awesome. to foul pole like, like judge does. And he wouldn't need to cover much ground in right field. No, no, not at all. Um, I wanted to go a little bit like outside the box here. Cause there's so many like good prospects that I, you know, I, I don't know how much, you know, how much would, would change from, from team to team. I was looking at guys that are kind of blocked that I think could play every day right now for another team and, and probably excel. And I had to send Jordan Westberg to the Boston Red Sox because there's multiple layers to this for me. Jordan Westberg, I think, can play all over, obviously. Right now, he would be an upgrade for them at shortstop. Right now, right right this second. But, you know, you, you get... Marcelo Meyer up there, maybe in two years, you cross that bridge when you get there. I, I I would love to see Westberg in that ballpark where he's another guy that uses the whole field, but man, when he goes pull side, he really gets a hold of it. He would pepper that wall. I, I could say the Miami Marlins too, but I wanted to kind of give multiple teams. Uh, Boston would be better with Jordan Westberg right now, right now, right this second. I mean, they're playing, you know, Emmanuel Valdez, who is a fine 40 man filler guy, but like that's who's playing games at second base. The speed that he brings is above average runner. Again, he can play both shortstop and second base. He just helps you in a lot of different ways. I'm I'm a big fan of Westbrook. I think he makes the Red Sox better right now. I was trying to find a team that like really I, I think is is not bad, like is semi-competitive and would be better at this moment. Red Sox, I think Jordan Westbrook to the Marlins is an absolute no-brainer. Um, same with you could say Joey Ortiz to the Marlins. 
Um, I think those two guys were very, very like obvious low hanging fruit there. I don't know if you had anybody on on your radar though. I've I have a couple others. So I would take a Kowser or a Kerstad and put them in right field for the Chicago White Sox. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Bolas wasn't cutting it. I selfishly wanted to help out the White Sox. Um, A couple others, and I know we're going to revisit one of these names here, but if, if Cleveland is technically not moving Bo Naylor up to the bigs. I think Naylor would be a great option here for Miami or for um, Boston. Like, yeah, San Diego, I think would be great because San Diego, like, I don't know. I think they're willing to sacrifice some receiving skills for some life behind the behind the backstop. Yeah, Um, that's kind of what jumps out to me. Also, there are teams that are in dire need of, of shortstop help. And I think that, you know, somebody like like, I don't want to give you a blue chip or like an Ellie or a Marcelo Meyer, but a, a Westberg um, could make a lot of sense in Atlanta too. If you wanted to move off the Grissom Arcia yeah. conversation. Yeah, no, I do like that one too. And then how about like a, a Brian Rocchio because that, that guy, you just saw him like, well, let's talk about Brian Rocchio. I, I think that he's the guardian shortstop. Like you have to abort the, the Ahmed Rosario mission, right? Now. I agree, but it's not happening right now. So for, in terms of the right now, Obviously, the Guardians are going to keep him and, and he's going to be their shortstop of the future. But I mean, in in a vacuum of Brian Rocchio, you're, you're Brian Rocchio's agent, right? You're his guy. Would you want him to stick with the Guardians right now and wait it out? Or would you would you say, hey, I'd, I kind of want him to play every day somewhere else where he'd probably be a little bit more of a, of, of a factor? I think Brian Rocchio is a perfect plug and play shortstop for a winning team. I, I think that he is the perfect shortstop option for, listen, I mean, the Marlins are kind of in this conversation. The, Marlins, right the Red Sox, the one thing is they have Meyer coming up, who I, obviously we love. Yeah. Um, and they have Story coming back. That said, you know, they, they're an option. The Marlins have nobody. It's That's Khalil Watson who just broke a 0 for 30 spell, who I still think looks a lot better this year. But like, you're hoping you have something there. Nassim Nunez, who I like, but like, if you get you, you'd swap. I love Nas, but like you'd swap Nas for for Brian Rocchio in two seconds. Come on, for sure. So I would that, say that's one. Um, yeah, I would say Rocchio. Rocchio is a Marlin or a Brave. I think makes the most. Rocchio is a Brave would be oh, that'd be so annoying. That would be really good because that, that's your nine hitter. That's like your nine hitter. Oh my gosh, yeah. Rocchio is a Brave. Done. They need eight or nine hole, and they need foolproof. Like they were searching for Jeremy Pena in Von Grissom, they didn't necessarily get it. And there's still time for Von Grissom for sure. They're searching for Jeremy Pena in Arcia. Arcia is not Jeremy Pena. I think Rocchio can be in a different way. Like Pena is a little bit more K, a little bit more pop. I think Rocchio is as safe when you combine all attributes and look at the overall floor. I think he's as safe as Jeremy Pena. Oh my gosh, man. Would you AJ Smith Shaver for Brian Rocchio? Send it in. Sure. How about Grissom and a filler? <laughs> yeah, that would be like a step backwards for the Guardians. But yeah, I think that dude, Rocchio to the Braves, I think might be the best answer that we have here. Um there we one go. other that like I, I would just like to see like one of Henry Davis or Andy Rodriguez sent to, to another team. But I know that the Pirates are gonna find a way to make both of those work. So that's and the Pirates are fun right now. I will report back Henry Davis's AAA debut today coming at home against Omaha. So I will report back at the end of this week to see how they used Henry and Andy on the same roster. Love it. Looking forward to that. Next one from at Dodgers intern. <laughs> FMK. 
and I'm going to rebrand it to start one, bench one, cut one. Yeah. Mason Miller, Bryce Miller, Bobby Miller. Okay. Important, important, um, like, I guess, precursor here. Injuries have to matter, right? Sure. Yeah. Like, otherwise, what are we doing? Yeah. Okay. That kind of makes it easier then. Um, I'll, I'll give answers for both both ways, but I think you and I are going to have the same the same answer here. But I'll let you go first. Start Bobby, bench Bryce, cut yeah. Mason. Yeah, which is super unfortunate. So I want to give two answers here. That is the correct answer in my opinion in terms of just where these guys are at, all things considered. Yeah. In a world, in a beautiful world where arm issues are not existent, I would go start Bobby, bench Mason, and, and what was the third? And then cut Bryce. Right. I would. I'm, I'm with you. I think if injuries did not matter, I flip-flop Bryce and Mason, and that's it. But I do think that Bobby is the best of the bunch here. A hundred percent. I think Bobby is kind of a combination of the two. Um, Mason, the stuff is just so much better than, than Bryce's. I, again, we, we know that Bryce has that fastball, but again, the slider is not that good. Like it's really not that good. It just plays up because the fastball is so good. Guy, I think guys are saying, beat me with the slider. And yeah. right now we said guys were going to adjust to Bryce and they're doing that. Bryce will be okay, but he's going to have that Joe Ryan arc a little bit where remember Joe Ryan, like he was always solid, but he did struggle. He was always more of that, like, three high threes, low fours guy. We're like, all right, like, is this maybe what he is? And then it all clicked for him. He added the splitter and and now we see something else. If you're just going to be the high carry fastball and fringy secondary stuff with that elite of a fastball, you can be successful, but how successful Mason Miller that, that, is, if healthy is, is a, is a frontline kind of guy. That's the thing. So like if I'm going with a fastball reliant guy here at a Mason and Bryce, I'd prefer 102, 103. Yes, correct. Over 97. And also his slider's diabolical. Yeah. So, so. there we go. Uh, all right. This from at 68KF8WQQFQ. <laughs> this is Wait, this what's is the Elon process of making that your username? I think that's Elon generated and he just didn't change it. Okay. But, but I it's the best question. So it's the best question of the bunch. Would love some talk on you, mean Lin. Obviously, he's striking out the world, but what are the movement profiles and data like? You, mean Lin, last start with high A Hillsborough. Five innings, one hit, no runs, 13 Ks. No walks or one walk? One walk. One walk. One hit, one walk. Um, okay. I got I to gotta connect with my – by the way, got to plug my guy Gary Mattis. Um, yeah. Gary Mattis – undrafted uh, bounced around a bunch of different colleges kind of like went through some stuff when he was in college, but was my, one was my summer ball teammate. One of the best players I've played with uh, through, through high school and through summer ball. One of the most electric stances you'll ever see, by the way, like he crouches so low that you, he actually looks like his butt's going to touch the ground. Freak athlete. He's a Hillsborough hop. So I got to ask him about you mean Lynn, because what he did last start was absolutely insane, but look out for Gary Mattis. He was signed to be an org guy and is just hitting way better than an org guy. And he's also the man. Um, so just I had to give Gary Mattis a little plug. I promise if you watch that guy swing, you'll, you'll laugh. It's so, it's so fun and so electric. Anyway, also six shoe game for Gary Mattis. Sweet. You mean Lynn. 
what in the world, man? 19 years old. And we, t- so you brought him up before the year and you asked me about him when we were doing the D back system. And I said, he throws 89. Like, I'm interested. He's a, he's a name to watch, no doubt, because he's young. But like, yeah. I got to see him break 90 before I'm, you know, looking at him as a legitimate, legitimate prospect. Well, yeah. Jack, he's averaging 90 on the fastball, which at 19 now you can say, okay, you can go to 91, 92. This, the whiff numbers are fantastic on the fastball, given that it's 90 miles an hour, 25% in zone whiff. His changeup, and it sucks because the Hillsborough camera angle blows. Yeah, it's His changeup is insane. 62% in zone whiff. And he's throwing it 35% of the time. 31% swinging strike rate. Opponents are hitting 132, 215, 210 against it with a 52% strikeout rate. Then he has this cutter that he's struggling to command, but it's it's a pitch that he has. And he also has a slider and a curveball to taste break. So lefty with five pitches, diabolical changeup, and just a deceptive delivery. How aren't you in? Like, th- this is interesting stuff here from you, mean Lynn. And the fastball continues to tick up, Jack. It's over. He's touched 94 this year. Where were you when the call up bought into you mean Lynn? Because <laughs> I'm sitting right here, man. You're sitting right here. It's real. It's, can, can you go? Can you take me through the walk numbers? They're awesome. They're absolutely awesome. This guy's walking two and a half guys per nine. When he's striking out 12 and a half, he's walking two and a half. And I want to pull up his game log here too, because I, I want to walk you through like what he's done literally with walks. We should clarify, uh, Diamondbacks prospect, if you didn't know the Hillsborough hops. Yes. We're so bad yes. at this, dude. We are so bad at that. We got to start just saying like Jordan just Walker. expect you to Cardinals know everything outfield. we know. Like uh, we have a show to tell people about prospects and then expect them to know what we like. It, you should know about that. But anyway, um, apologies. All right. Walk totals by start. One and a third, two walks, three innings, one walk, four and a third, one walk, three and two thirds, one walk, five and two thirds, one walk, five and two thirds, one walk, four innings, one walk, five innings, one walk. He never gets out of himself. This guy in eight starts has struck out 45 and walked nine. Opponents are hitting 204 against him. So they're not getting hits. They're not getting free passes and they're striking out all the time. I get that he's sitting 90. Even if he was sitting 88, these numbers are undeniable. Yeah, I know. And the thing is, he's touching 94. Yeah. So if this guy's 92, 94 by next year, this is, this is our guy. We're, we're stamping him. He might be like a legitimate, legitimate, legitimate pitching prospect. Um, the changeup, 19 inches of horizontal. You wanted data? No way. 6, 8, 9, W, X, Y, Z. You wanted data? Here's data. 19 inches of horizontal. That's a screwball. That's Devin Williams. Yeah, it's a screwball. Um, is, isn't Devin like 17? It, he manipulates the, the the crap out of okay. it. Sometimes it's not a lot. Sometimes it's, he puts pressure on the index finger. But yeah, it's it's it can be up to twenty sometimes. But I think it averages out at about seventeen. Um, Dude, <laughs> and it's not this super slow changeup too. You know, like that's the problem. Like, oh, you have a great changeup, but you throw it at seventy two because your fastball stinks. No, it's it's up to seventy nine now. So it's seventy nine to eighty one with that screwballish change. Like that works. And so, if you're at a 10 mile an hour difference between your fastball and change, that shit plays, man. And it's only, it's only growing. It's only, you know, he's only generating more and a yeah. pretty, pretty low vertical attack angle at, at, at five inches. So 
I, I'm in. I'm I'm a hundred percent in. I'm I'm loving what we're seeing from you, Mean Lynn. Are you surprised that at Larnick Enjoyer asks a twins question? We made fun of Larnick Enjoyer on the Just Baseball show, so uh, I, we we did. We we made fun of the 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 at, and I got a DM that was like, "How dare you?" from them. So Larnick Enjoyer, thank you for being a Colorado fan as well. And it is very understandable to like to be a Larnick Enjoyer. He's fast as hell and hits the ball really hard for sure. Larnick Enjoyer asks, "Who do you view as the better prospect, Royce Lewis or Brooks Lee, and why?" It's funny we we talked Brooks Lee um, on the draft show because I was asking Pete Flaherty to weigh Brooks Lee and and Jacob Wilson okay. because I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. Brooks Lee is what's interesting is Brooks Lee has some some injury history as well, which is why he like quote unquote fell in the draft. Though it it pales in comparison to Royce Lewis's extensive injury history, which falling on his face, it thank God he's okay. I would have actually been like distraught. If yeah. Royce Lewis was was hurt from that um, tabletop over Gabriel Arias, who I was upset with at first, by the way. But then you realize that's a guy playing out of position. Like you can only blame him so much. Um, so, yeah, I think first baseman can like natural first baseman can go through the pros and cons process a little bit quicker little than bit Arias quicker. can. Yeah. Arias is a shortstop playing first base. Holy hell, Guardians get a grip. Yeah. But he's a shortstop playing first base. And, you know, you've got him like saying, hey, I'm going to keep my foot on the bag and pick it. Like, yeah. that's what he's thinking about. He's not thinking about, yeah. that. hey, am I going to get smoked right no. now? And you could see immediately he was like, oh, no. Like, you could see how distraught he was. So I was like, what is he thinking? But, you know, you can understand the mistake. That said, yeah. Royce is okay. He's going to be back. Yeah. The answer is Royce. And I, as a Brooks Lee, as a guy who was devastated that the Marlins did not take Brooks Lee, um, Royce Lewis is on a different level. Um, we've seen Royce Lewis turn into – everything that he was supposed to be, which is power, better field to hit than anyone would have expected. And also just a great athlete. Him at third, I think could win gold gloves. He's already flashed the leather. And that's where they need him with the struggles of Jose Miranda. So the answer for me is clear cut Royce Lewis. Brooks Lee's an average defender at best at short. He's probably going to move to third or second every day. If that's the case, he doesn't quite have the offensive upside that Royce Lewis has. Lewis gives you more speed, way more power. And obviously the field of hit is 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 further off. Brooks Lee's a plus hitter. Lewis looks like an average, slightly above. But I mean, it's just not even close in terms of the upside to me. Yeah, so it just feels like every tool is better for Royce Lewis. Did you see him last year before, before he, he got yeah. cut up? Yeah. Did you see one of the like the walls that he hit like just otherworldly hard? Yes. Did he go? Did he do anything special against you guys? I think he popped like a one thirteen or one fourteen against so he, us. That's what stood out to me is he eliminated the leg kick, and saw no loss of power. So he saw uptick in contact, uptick in swing decisions, popped a one thirteen point six to right center for a for a double that was off Cam Aldred, and then yeah. was that was that a against you guys? Was, was yeah, Aldred it was. Aldred was in India. 114 off of Aaron Savali pull side and then 113 off of Connor Overton pull side. That was last year. That's that's plus plus juice. That's what I remember. The 113 the other way, like to the yes, right center the alley. Yes. I was like, what are we doing? That here? was the swing that I saw. And I said, okay, everything I said about Royce Lewis in the past, I was wrong. Like he found yeah. something. He was so, also fast as shit down the line. I remember he still that. Is. He still is. 
that's the thing. He can still motor um, even with the ACL. Yeah. So answers Royce Lewis. Brooksley's a great prospect, but more four over ceiling. Lewis has proven to us, I think, that he can hit now. And the ceiling is there. Cool. Three more for you. We'll get through them quick. Uh, Ant Fuse, A-N-T-F-U-U-U-Z, says, how should we evaluate Jack Leiter's recent success? Is he a top 100 prospect again if he replicates this production over the next month? Hmm. You go first. Um, it's going to take a little longer than I think three, two months, honestly, because like he struggled a bit in the first month. Right. And then the last month is when he turned it on. Like, it's not like he hit the ground running in double yeah. this year. So, so for me, I, I think I need until the end of July. Okay. That's fair. So that is to buy that he's a hundred percent back to who he is or that he's a top 100 arm. That's um, the interesting thing. Cause I, I think it's one of those games where you have to like see who's in front and decide who you're taking ahead of him. Yeah. Let's play a game. Ben Brown or Jack Leiter? At this very moment, Ben Brown. Okay. But that could change. How about Connor Phillips or Jack Leiter? Leiter. Connor Phillips will be under consideration. Nick Frasso or Jack Leiter? Remember, Nick Frasso is almost two years older. Almost two years older. Um, yeah, I'd probably go Leiter. It's so it's he's right on the edge. Frank yeah. Mazzucato or Jack Leiter last one. Mazzucato. By the way, out for a month. Yeah. Royals Mazzucato, which if you follow me on Twitter, I tweet about him every start. He's been unbelievable. He ran into a teammate in practice out for a month. They don't think it's going to be anything significant, but I think it's more precautionary. That stinks. Yeah. So I, he's right on the edge. I think with the amount of names we have graduating, he might weasel his way in there. Jack Leiter. Um, what stands out to me is the fastball shape has been fantastic. He's right around 20 inches of induced now, which is he found something. He definitely found something. The delivery looks slower, a little bit more controlled, but it looks really good. In zone whiff of near 30% on the fastball. And if you want to pull it from like the better starts that we've seen as of late, it's been great. The walk rate's still a little high though, Jack. And that's the, that's the thing. That is leaving me a bit reserved is yes, he's been better because the fastball quality is better, but the command is still spotty. You look at the last six starts. He's been great. Striking out 32% of batters, opponents hitting 171, but 61% strike rate. Yeah. 58% strike rate on the slider, 46% strike rate on the curveball, 53% strike rate on the changeup. That's still tough. Like the command is still not there. He's found the fastball command and he's dominating off of that. But where is the secondary command? Yeah. So his, his line scores tell you at points that he tight ropes. Um, and I think when you watch innings in full or starts in full, you can see that he tight ropes at points and he's got to land the three, one pitch to get back. And then he finds like a chase on three, two. So that's my worry. And I think that's why I need more time. I need to see like a true outing where he's cruise control. He's ahead of everybody. Owen to. I agree. Can I read you his last three starts before we move on to the next question? Next, last yeah. four starts. Yeah. So we've got Wichita, which is twins double A. Twins double A. Five innings, two hits, one run, unearned, two walks, eight Ks. Next start, Amarillo, Diamondbacks. 
six innings. This is double A. Six innings, yeah. four hits, three runs, one walk, 10 Ks. Yeah. Next start, Arkansas, which is why am I drawing the blank? That's that's Mariners. Yeah. Four innings, one hit, one run, seven walks, one hit by pitch, four Ks. Talk about a tightrope. Then against San Antonio, six innings, three hits, one run on a solo blast, one walk, four Ks. Weirdly, that might be the most encouraging start. Not as many Ks, but one walk. The only time he got beat was on a solo blast. Yeah. That's fine. That looked good. Let's see how he follows that one up. He should be due to start today, I think, as we record this. Yeah, that, that sounds right. First. I will say this, and this is a big reason why I'm always going to be a Jack Leiter believer. You got the bloodlines. Last thing I'll say on him. I'm a little bit biased. I always like be clear. Like I, I grew up with his family. So like I, I know what kind of person he is, what kind of worker he is. And also I'm, you know, a little bit biased, but I would say he is the kind of guy that will find a way. And I think he's finding a way right now. He's had to fight through it. I think a lot of other pitching prospects would have really hit a wall through the struggles last year. People already calling him a bust, whatever it may be. To already be kind of breaking out the other side like we've seen right now and looking like a Jack Leiter is is saying a lot, I think, through all of that and all the pressures that he had on him, cover of Baseball America, all of those things. Um, yeah. I think the makeup is a, is a differentiator here, and that's that's a reason why I think he could push his way onto the top 100 list because I believe in the makeup that much. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, man. And like, I don't know him personally, but based on what you've relayed, uh, I buy him figuring it out any which way. And and if it is walking three guys per start, like, I think he can figure it out. I think regardless, he'll figure out some sort of way to go six innings and two run ball every time. Yep. Uh, two more. And they're from your Marlins guys. Fish yeah. on first, not fish stripes anymore. Fish on first. Go yes. follow them. They got a uh, they got big and they went independent. Yeah, they went independent from SB Nation, which was the right move. Go mm-hmm. follow Fish on First for any Marlins coverage. They do a great job of covering the system, too. And I'm so excited for this move for them because this is going to really allow them to grow. For sure. Uh, this is from Kevin Barral. Which catching prospect can the Marlins trade for that will start for the team right away? If the catching market in the bigs is as dry as it is, why not shoot for the minors? Good point. We've talked about Yasmani Grandal a lot. Like if you just ate the contract and went to grab Grandal, but I like the route that Kevin is thinking, and it's the route that we love for the call up. There was a name that immediately jumped to my mind, and I I think that you know this guy may be on your radar as well. For me, it's Ivan Herrera with the Cardinals, especially with the Wilson Contreras contact, contract. We've seen Herrera be labeled as the heir apparent to Yadier Molina for like three years, and he's been good in AAA. He's just never gotten the shot. He's OPSing, I think, 930 in AAA right now. 933. Yeah, he's walking almost as much as he's striking out. There's enough power there. I think he's swiped four bags, too. Herrera is a decent defender. I think Herrera is a big league ready catcher that just doesn't have a spot right now. And the Cardinals, we know they need some starting pitching. The Marlins probably have a starter that they can relinquish. Talk about a pitcher that's or a pitcher. Talk about a prospect that's just broken my brain over the last couple of years. You and I have always talked about this. I agree. I think I think for the Marlins there, it Herrera's probably the the most you gotta look at attainability and proximity and you know, kind of what team, you know, would even remotely be willing to to move them. 
I think Herrera obviously is is movable here, given the fact that they have Contreras locked up here for a while. So I think you're right there. Herrera's pretty much done everything that we want to see in terms of just improving his all-around uh, approach, improving yeah. his output. He was a super pull-dependent hitter, has totally, totally changed that. Now he's only pulling the ball around 30-something percent of the time. So that looks great. He hits the ball hard. I don't know if they want to trade him just because he looks so good right now. That's my only concern. But that would be the number one guy I'm trying to, to target. The The problem is, is are the Cardinals buyers? They stink right now. Um, if they are, if they are looking to to add, the Marlins can maybe do a prospect swap here. Problem, an uh-oh, as I'm reading right now as we're recording this, Dax Fulton being evaluated for an arm issue. Ah, which is just horrible. Guest of the show. Great dude. Great arm. But Jake Eater's on the way back. That's a guy that could be close to big league ready if healthy. And maybe that's somebody that that the Cardinals could have interest in. There could be something there. I think the Marlins, it would be a no-brainer. They have the worst catching depth in the minor leagues of any organization, I think, right now. And I think Herrera would be a great pickup, who's currently blocked. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think that's a no-brainer. You could go to like Camposano, but why would the Padres trade him if they're desperate for catcher as well? Yeah. And then you look across the, the the game. Most of these catching prospects are not movable. I would say one other guy, but you can't plug him into the big leagues yet. But if the Marlins, again, it doesn't make sense because they're winning right now, would be, uh, now I'm drawing a blank right now, um, Caro, Edgar Caro. Edgar Caro? Edgar Caro could be possibly available, but I don't see it happening for the Marlins. Yeah. Um, I, Naylor, like Naylor's obviously the plan for the Guardians. I don't know why they've moved there, but I mean, after that, like, I think the prospect intrigue really falls off a cliff. Like, yes. Sam Huff is probably the next. Most of these guys off. are untouchable. That's, that's why catching prospects are so valuable. They're either really good or it's a guy like Huff who, like, is he an upgrade over Fortes at this point? Like, no, mm, probably he's been swinging it as a late. Yeah, no exactly. Doubt. So I think Herrera is is the best option here. And then this from your guy, Eli Sussman at Real Eli. Um, international guys coming off 2022 DSL success who you're most intrigued to see stateside now that rookie ball season is starting up. Um, I am not that well versed in this. I know that you're really excited for Josu or Josue DePaula. Josue, Josue. Josue DePala uh, in the Dodgers system. I want to throw you one name that Taylor Davis has keyed me in on. Axiel Plaz in the Pirates organization. Plaz last year in the DSL slashed 382, 500, 706 in 32 games. He walked 13 times. He punched out 16 times in 86 plate appearances, 11 doubles, three homers, 21 driven in. Plaz is a guy that he's been really impressed with defensively and he thinks the bat can play. So that's my one DSL guy that I can key you in on. That's that sounds electric. I honestly don't know much. I'll be honest. I need to do more research. I'm very excited about this like complex stretch here of, of what we're going to be able to see and, and some of the players that we're going to be able to, to get looks at. And I'm going to try to get out there and, and get some complex. I, I love the complex. You, you know, that's where I just love to just sit there all day and, and, and just take it all in. Josue DePaul has got to be, you know, up there as, as one of the most exciting guys to watch right now uh, in terms of, of who's you can look towards and say, Hey, this guy can make a, a big time impact, you know, right away. And, and I, I think I'm pretty sure he got assigned to low A. So I think he's going to be, you know, kind of ready to go in low A right away. Um, you've got 
Jose Gerardo from the Marlins, monster power, a guy that you know I really like as if it all clicks, could be a really exciting prospect. Um, it, it's tough with the complex because so many of these guys we've we've barely, barely, barely seen. But Kiner Delgado of the Yankees is another one. Delgado, switch hitter, great bat-to-ball skills. I, I, I'm a big fan of Delgado's. I think he could be an impactful uh, prospect in that system very, very, very soon. That's probably my number one guy I'm looking forward to watching. Marco Vargas, Marlins as well. Again, I know the Marlins complex a little bit better than others. Uh, yeah. But I would say Connor Delgado of the Yankees. That That's a guy that I've been really excited to watch. I've been very eager to see what he's going to do. And hopefully we'll get some more, you know, stateside looks at him soon. But other than that, I, I honestly, you're going to have to stay tuned because I am very much just looking forward to getting more looks at guys kind of as this year goes on, because it's it's so hard with, with limited data available on the guys last year. For sure. All right. That's the mailbag. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, thank you all for the questions. I think it was it was as good a question as we could ask for across the board. I I, I think we got to do these more often. Yeah. I think that's very, very clear. And I'm excited to kind of give you a little bit more on the complex side. We'll give you some updates on prospects. I'm looking forward to watch. I'm sorry. I couldn't answer that question a little bit better, but looking forward to answering that one better as, as we, as we move forward here, guys that are sticking out, but yeah, that's it. Look forward to talking prospects with you. Brewers top prospects with you later this week. And we'll keep doing these mailbags a little bit more frequently. Until then, thanks for listening. If you could leave a rating, we'd appreciate it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.